0: This Torah class is brought to you by torahanytime.com. To practical spirituality here in the holy city of Jerusalem, overlooking the Temple Mount. My name is Rabbi Yomtov Glazer, and I've been teaching the spiritual traditions of Judaism here for the last 27 years. And today we're going to be talking about the science of unity. It's an interesting thing, the science of unity, because normally when we think of science, we think of the distinctions of things, because scientists generally are breaking down uh, larger things into components to better understand the world. They're distinguishing. And that distinction that science makes is generally going further from unity rather than towards it. And in fact, we do, with total intellect, we we have the ability to, to do inquiry in a way that brings us back to unity using science. And one of those ways which is obvious to all is, the, is quantum physics, in that we, we all know now today that every thing is made of protons, neutrons, and electrons, so we're really all made of the same stuff, and that's already the science of unity, that everything, you, your skin, your clothing, your, your, uh, your ch- the chair you're sitting on, it's all made of the same stuff. Judaism has a very strong tradition about unity, and it's interesting in that I like to call it hardcore monotheism, because the the other monotheistic traditions out there are generally talking about the belief in one God. In Judaism, the belief in one God is really more of a default fact to what we actually believe, and what we actually believe is God is one, and that's a very different distinction Meaning, the fact that God is one automatically means that there's one of God. There's only one of it. But, but that it is one means that anything it makes is going to be of it. Because before there was something, there was nothing. And that goes whether you're into science or whether you're into, into Torah, which is the Jewish Bible, we call it the Torah, which means instructions, the instructions for the planet. Whether you're into Torah, whether you're into science, before there was something, there was nothing. And even in physics, they believe also the same. Now, they would like to know what that nothing was, so most universities have a department called theoretical physics, but notice the word theoretical, because in science, they will always be relegated to theory when it comes to what precedes something, what precedes the space-time continuum. Because they they have never created nor will they ever create an instrument of measure that goes beyond space and time. Because if it's beyond space and time it's not an instrument of measure anymore. There is, however, access beyond space and time and that's via our fiber optic link which is the soul. And it happens that Although we have our physical bodies, there's something way beyond us that would never show up in an MRI, and that's called the soul. And it's beyond us. It doesn't show up in the physical. It's not, you're not going to find it in any brain science or any studies of the brain. And we call that the soul. And that's your awareness of your awareness. Like right now, you're, you see me. You hear me. And the, all those vibrational... all that vibrational information is hitting your cerebral cortex, so it's hitting, it's, it's being stimulated, your brain. But you have an awareness that you're aware also. And that awareness is the soul, that's the spirit. And that soul of yours has the, you have the ability to travel with that into the spiritual realms. We're going to understand what I'm about to teach, we're going to understand some, some details in all this in a moment. But before we do, I'd just like to talk for a moment about the prophetic traditions. Much like all tribes throughout the world, whether you're talking about the African tribes, the Amazonian tribes, or tribes in Southeast Asia, what, we, what all the tribes have in common is that they're, they're being led by leaders who understand the metaphysical world. Judaism also has almost all of its history up only until recently that it was only the master of the metaphysical that led the Jewish people today we have all kinds of different kinds of leadership because because now we have like for example leaders who are the the secular leaders of the state of Israel which are who are very far not only from the knowledge of the Torah but they're also very far from the mystical traditions. We also have Jewish leaders who know a lot of the of the laws of the Torah, but like in really tremendous detail, but are very far from the mystical sides of things. But throughout Jewish history, it was always led by the mystical leader. And the same thing in every tribe, it was the one who understood the most about that. It was the medicine chief, it was the shaman, it was the, it was the, or still is the, the, the person who was on the highest spiritual level. And throughout all of our history, we always sought, the advice of that person, whenever making decisions of national import, and in fact, everywhere that the Jews lived in exile, which is everywhere, the any time the leaders of those nations wanted to let something be known to the Jews, he would always go to that spiritual leader. That would be that was really the leader of the Jews, no matter what country they lived in. They only really had their king was always the spiritual leader at the t- at that particular time. What is unique about the leaders of our tribes, of the 12 tribes of Israel, what's unique about our leaders is that their, their connection is up-down as opposed to down-up. You see, for anyone to go into the spiritual realm, for anyone to take that journey, what we call going up Jacob's ladder, or in other words, using your soul, which is your fiber optic link up, out of the physical world of immediate, you know, uh, appearance that you see. For you to rise up Jacob's Ladder, for you to go up that ladder, you needed to uh, work your way up. You work your way up. And that meant aligning in all kinds of ways, dietarily, purity and impurity, meaning dealing with, with all the laws that have to do with purity and impurity. It was very interesting. I got to uh, spend some time with uh, one amazing, amazing man named Maestro Emmanuel, and... I asked him a bit about his, his lifestyle and what he has to do and can, what he can do, what he cannot do, what he can touch, what he can't touch in order to do the work he does. And it was amazing. As he described his work, he was literally quoting the laws of the Kohanim, of the priesthood of the temple, right? Which is literally, literally right behind me outside this window is the, uh, is the temple mount. You know, you can see it right here. I'm standing right outside the the Temple Mount right here, and uh, where that gold dome is is where the Holy of Holies was, and that is where the uh, the high priest would go in once a year inside there, and he would he would uh, recite different names of God, especially the seventy-two letter name of God, while all the Jews would be surrounding the Temple Mount on all sides. Millions of Jews an obligatory three times a year pilgrimage, all Jews would be prostrated all around reciting the things that they recite, while the while the high priest would offer the eleven spiced incense offering, which is such a which the ingredients of which are so crucial that it's actually that it's actually the death penalty for creating that eleven spice concoction. Not for temple use, or or taking the one that was created for temple use and using it outside the temple was the death penalty, meaning no one takes incense more seriously than the Jewish people. And when it comes to crystals, no one takes crystals more seriously. The high priest himself wore a, a vest plate, a chest plate, in his amazing outfits, which you can check out online, but he wore a, a breastplate that had 12 stones In it. Inside the stones were the names of each of the tribes. But there was no way into the inside of the stones. The way it was done was kabbalistically dealing with a worm that was called the Shamir worm. And the Shamir worm could actually eat stone. And using names of God, they could send the Shamir worm into the stone and would actually carve out the names of the tribes. And the high priest wore 12 crystals on him, at all, 12 precious stones at all times. And when, and when the Jewish people had questions of national import, they would actually ask the breastplate, and the breastplate would answer, the, the, the stones themselves would answer the answers of what to do and how to deal with the situation at hand. With the incense wafting, and at all times there was a conductor, a maestro, who was leading a massive orchestra, a giant orchestra, and all the people in the orchestra were from the tribes of Levi, Levites. So the Kohanim were the ones. All the families of the Kohanim, which were which were these tribal dynasties, they had their they had their times that they would serve, and they meaning they were on a rotation, and so they would live in Levitical cities. By the way, Levitical cities is where we sent sent um, criminals. Criminals who were, we didn't have jails. We sent them to go be with the holiest people in the country. Because that's where a criminal belongs. A criminal belongs with the holiest people. And let the holiest person be with them and rub off on them and let them be part of the ceremonies until they finally come true. And the, the, so the music was not just instruments, but it was also a gigantic choir. We're talking about in the thousands. There were times during temple periods that there were thousands of people in the choir and thousands of musicians all at the same time. They say that it was so loud that with the right wind, it would actually blow right down this valley, which is right below me here. Um, I'm not going to show you it right now, but the valley right below, which is called the Kidron Valley, but it ultimately leads to, the, um, to, the, the, um, it leads to Jericho in the end. The, the valley is called... Um, I'm forgetting the name, but it leads to Jericho and they could hear the temple music in Jericho. And there were 12 miracle, 10 miracles going on at all times. For example, no matter how strong the wind was, the smoke coming off the altar would always go straight. (laughs) Just imagine like, just imagine being in like a crazy windstorm, like we're having today and the, and the smokes, the smokes just going like straight up into, into the air. And it also was said that that the sacrificial meat never rotted; it just would never rot, and meaning once it was slaughtered for a sacrifice, it would never rot. And the and it also the the breads. There was a, a rack; it was made of acacia wood. Acacia wood, by the way, is the is the piece of vegetation in the planet that has the highest concentration of the molecule of DMT in the whole world. Meaning every organic thing in the world has inside it the molecule of DMT and that that's a molecule that that's a causes a disassociation between the ones regular kind of stuck inside the the frontal cortex thinking and they're able to suddenly access into the spiritual realms and that's inside of all of us all of us have it as well we our bodies produce it it's likely where your dreams are coming from as they found that you actually have inside a gland called the pineal gland. The word pineal in Hebrew means the face of God, the presence of God, or really the face of God. Pine is face, panim, and kel is uh, God. I'm just putting the cook because we're careful with the names. Very careful with the names, but together it's called the pineal gland, the face of God gland, and that's between your two lobes of your brain. It's right in the center, and it's what's really interesting about that gland is it also has visual cones. You shouldn't; it doesn't make sense for you to have visual cones in the center of your brain. But you, all of us were dreaming last night, and we were all experiencing great vision in that in those dreams, and that's that's coming from the pineal gland. And the anyway, but in every a uh, piece of vegetation in the world has in it a certain concentration of th- of the DMT uh, molecule which is today called the spirit molecule and what's interesting about that is that of all the vegetation in the world the species that has the most concentration of it is the acacia tree which is found all over the world but of all the acacia trees the one that has the highest concentration of the spirit molecule DMT is the is the the acacia tree that's found right here in the Middle East in uh, Israel and our de- our surrounding desert that acacia tree if you've ever been hiking in the desert there's just incredible acacias there and that is the highest concentration on Earth of it well I don't think it's by any coincidence that the that the Ark of the Covenant and all the vessels of the temple were made of this wood they're all made of acacia wood and they're lined with gold on the inside and gold on the outside well if you think about that that's that's a that's an electrical conductor because electrical conductors have have a, a metal and then a non-conductor and then a metal and notice it had two staves and you were never allowed to remove these staves these long poles that it was carried with those had to stay in there all the time but I was talking about the miracles that took place, and one of the miracles was that the breads were on a rack of uh, six and six. There were 12 breads at all times. And on the Sabbath, when we, we make hamotzi, at least us, in, us guys in Jerusalem and other Kabbalistic types, we actually make hamotzi on, on a 12-bread uh, challah. It's made of 12 different uh, individuals that all bake together. And that's what we make our blessing on, on our holidays and our Friday nights. One of those miracles was that they placed it inside there every Friday, and it would be placed in fresh, and the, old, the ones from the week before would be taken out, and they would be fresh. Another thing that was said was that, well, there's a pilgrimage, which means there were millions of Jews coming to Jerusalem three times a year. For Passover, they would come. For Shavuos, that's the day the Torah was given, and for Sukkot. And not only did they come, you had to come. It was not an option. You had an obligation to come. And not only were you obligated to come, the obligation was so strong that you weren't allowed to, you're not even allowed to guard your borders. And the Torah actually says, and when you wonder, like, who's going to guard Israel? Because if you know our history, we've, we've never been liked. And in, in even in the temple periods, there were times of peace under Solomon, King Solomon. But... There was a lot of times of not peace. You were not allowed to guard the borders during these three pilgrimage festivals. And some of our furthest borders are two weeks away. And so they would come, the whole family, and every single able-bodied man would make his way or her way down to Jerusalem for two weeks, spend a week partying here and experiencing all those miracles at the temple. And then they would spend two weeks going back. That's five weeks, three times a year of no border patrol. No one guarding our borders and the actual the Torah actually says that when you will come to those pilgrimage festivals, which we did for close to five hundred years in the first temple, when you come to those pilgrimage festivals, the heart of your neighbors will not covet the land and that 's how it worked out I meaning we could be at war and then just come straight to the temple to party for a week and then go back and fight the war and it would be our borders would be would be uh would be guarded by, you know, the creator. Just interesting to note is that if we did have to fight a war, it was always defensive, which I kind of like. Even today, the modern army of Israel is not just called, like, the Israel army, you know, like America's U.S. army. It's called, it's actually called the, it's called the um, Israeli defense forces because there's what to defend here. And we defend ourselves against the West. And unfortunately, too many tribes didn't understand the West. But we've got a long history, because the ruins of the temple that I just showed you, the ruins of that temple are actually the ruins of when Rome destroyed the temple. And we are considered right now to still be inside the Roman exile. Now, obviously, the Roman exile is coming to a close because we can see it, it, it's crumbling all around. You know, whether it be crumbling from the, the nihilistic millennial uh, uh, wash, or it's crumbling from the uh, from its own uh, heaviness and greed, or whatever is causing it to crumble. And meanwhile, the the, the leaders of the spirit are making their ways in their tentacles are reaching into the into the world. And and even as I speak right now, my voice can travel across the entire globe with the click of a button. And we are slowly waking up to the spirit of creation, which is the oneness of it all. The oneness of it all is is what we're all here to do because when you get that it's really all one, in one of our rituals, the candle of Saturday night, we burn a candle and make blessings over it. And the, um, it's a multi-wicked candle, but it burns into one flame, representing the multiplicity of physicality, yet the oneness of the light of the Creator. And we actually, when we make the blessing, we don't make the blessing on the light itself, we make the blessing, and then we look at the light through the reflection of our fingernails. Because our fingernails are translucent. Because there was once a time in the Garden of Eden where Adam and Eve lived in a translucent reality. And they were able to see through everything and see. they could literally see the, the, the makings of everything. Because right now, if you, if you realize, we are at the other end of a long holographic projection that's coming out of worlds, parallel worlds, that are coming down through myriads and myriads of worlds through these projections that are ultimately coming out into this 3D hologram of the world that you're in right now but this world we're in is opaque it's an opaque world you can't see you can't see the names of god through it rather you'll see a table you'll see a chair you'll see a person you don't, see the, you don't see God through it. And this is why when we mention the oneness of God, because nowhere in our Bible do we say there's one God. Throughout the, the Torah, we say that he is one. That God is one. And the reason we use the masculine for God is because in all mysticisms, there's the masculine, there's the feminine. The masculine is a causer, causal, and the feminine is a receiver. And that's going on everywhere, and it's in all things. Every single thing you've ever seen was either masculine or feminine. And in fact, just the very, the the weave of your clothing is set up masculine and feminine. How how a weave takes place is there's, there's a a thread that's thrown through and then the, and then it, it warps and they throw it through again. And they, meaning it's, it's just masculine and feminine going through the hinges on the doors, the buttons on my sweater, what's holding your, the, the furniture you're, sta- you're sitting on. You've never been in anything other than masculine and feminine. That's all there is in creation. And the reason we call the creator he is because cause he's causing creation to exist, and therefore all of us are in the feminine. And this is why when we wear our black boxes that we wear with the, with the oneness of God written inside of it, and we put it right over the pineal, right over here. And it's interesting, this spot right here on the, on the head where the tefillin has to be, it has to be above the hairline, over that place that's called the fontanelle. And it's, I love that name because it it's the fountain of God. We have to put the tefillin over the fontanelle, these black boxes that we wear. And the left-hand strap comes around the left side, goes through a junction right on the, back, the bone of the back of the head which is the bone that outlasts our body. When the body, uh, uh, what's the word, uh, in the ground, it decomposes, decomposes in the ground, that, that bone stays. And it's from that bone that we're taught that, that after 6,000 years, right now, we're in, from Adam, we're at 57, 79. So in 231 years, everything shifts and, and all the bodies are brought back from that bone. And if you think that sounds far-fetched, well, think about where you came from originally. It was a lot smaller than a bone and a lot less, less obvious DNA in where you, the microscopic place you came from. But we're actually recreated from it. The, the prophets say that it, it turns to like butter-like and just starts growing, growing veins and sinews, it, and it just recreates you from the, from the earth, and you, and you rise at 6,000 years. And the so we have the knot on the back of that bone. That junction has the left side strap come down the right side of the body and the right side strap comes down the left side of the body. And inside there we say Shema. And when we say Shema, you'll notice, everyone please take a moment and close your eyes. Close your eyes a moment. And when you close your eyes, you'll notice you see nothing. (coughs) But now please take your hand, take your right hand and press into your eyes. And you'll see that it really goes black, unless you've been recently on a psychedelic and you're seeing a lot of different colors right now. But you'll see that it goes black and that blackness is the oneness. Take a deep breath into the oneness. Release. And open up your eyes. We go to that oneness every time we say the Shema, the Shema is our anthem. It is our main mantra in the entire Jewish tradition is to is to announce the oneness of God. And it's very interesting because the Shin of Shema has the highest frequency. If you put it on a computer, it will have the highest frequency and the M mm has the lowest, no frequency. Mm. And Shin represents fire, it's expansion. It's even shaped like fire. Whereas the Mem is like a body of water and that's and it represents mayim, which is water and the and it's the it causes expanse it causes a coming together in a oneness water water is the ultimate solvent whatever you put in water if you come if you leave it long enough it will become the water it becomes part of it and that's the immersions that we take that that we just like the the priests, um, cannot eat from a, a menstruant, um, the, uh, especially if they're dealing with the temple service. Anyone dealing with the temple service cannot eat from food that has been touched by a menstruant. But, uh, but afterwards, she immerses herself in a body of water. That's a natural body of water. And the number, the letter mem is, every Hebrew letter is, is actually digits because it's all, the whole Torah is just string information. Because it's, it's the actual information of the creation itself. And so the, the mem is the number 40. And the 40 is the amount of a particular measurement called a sa'a. That that body of water has to be 40 sa'ah. And the mem is actually the shape of that mikvah. It's called a mikvah, which also means hope. Because it's only the hope of the Jewish people. Is that after a woman is through with her time... She Once she is, is, is no longer menstruating, she, she then dips in that mikvah and now can be back together with her husband to create the next, genera- the next generation. So the word for that immersion is called a mikvah. And also the seed of man, when it's spilled, that's also a loss of potential. Just like the egg was a loss of potential, the seed is a loss of potential. And when a man has lost that potential, he immerses himself inside that body of water. And, and renews himself, he comes back to one. Because think about it, the only way that a man can lose, the only way a man can lose his seed is because he, he got scattered in some way, meaning he got overly indulgent in the physical creation, which is the world of extension, the opposite of unity. And so he comes back to oneness with the immersion inside the mikvah, and that brings him back, back to the one. Before I was mentioning that to climb Jacob's ladder, to use that fiber optic link called the spirit, to climb up the ladder, that requires um, a lot. It requires a lot. I mentioned dietary. I mentioned uh, purity. And it also requires great knowledge. And it also requires great self-control. It requires self-mastery. It requires knowledge of the spirit world because you've got to know how to navigate there. And if you want to start getting to higher realms, it requires incredible, incredible grasp of the Hebrew alphabet. And once you have that kind of grasp of the Hebrew alphabet, and you actually start having the, the, the you now have the actual, you know, the, the substrate of, of the actual matrix of creation through the Hebrew alphabet, um, then you can go even further with understanding the names of God then you have the names of God. Once you have the names of God, then you're really rising. But here's this incredible distinction that a lot of people don't think of. And that distinction is is that we're the only tribe on the planet that actually got its original tradition, not just because people climbed from down up, but it came up down, and that's called prophecy. Prophecy is, is up-down. Now, of course, you've got to get somewhere to earn that prophecy, so you've definitely got to up, come from down up. But prophecy is a direct communication from the creator of the universe. I'm not talking about, I'm not talking about his messengers, the entities in those realms. I'm not talking about the entities. I'm talking about direct message. Throughout history, it's only happened to individuals, but there was one time in history, and that was when the great secret was told to three million people at Mount Sinai. Now, how do you tell a secret to three million people? The answer is the Sinai Desert. Anyone who's been to the Sinai Desert knows what I'm talking about. You can tell a secret to three million people in the Sinai Desert. And there it wasn't necessarily earned It is said that even the person of the lowest spiritual stature experienced a greater visage of God than Ezekiel, Yehezkel, who was the one who witnessed the chariot, which is the actual workings of the entire matrix, which you can find in the first chapter of Ezekiel, which is good luck understanding what's going on in there. But that's where one of the major doctrines of Kabbalistic study is the chariot of Ezekiel. It's a top-down thing. It's prophecy. And we live that prophecy every day. And a lot of Jewish people don't even realize. They think they're like keeping Shabbat because their parents did. They don't realize. That you wouldn't even know how to keep Shabbat if you didn't have the prophecy in the Torah of how to do it. How do you actually keep Shabbat? There are thousands of laws how to do it. And, they're, and those are all prophecies. So if you're keeping Shabbat, you're involved in prophecy. This cosmic dental floss that I wear... The, the tzitzit. Yeah, these, these, these strings, it's a commandment in the Torah. Well, the Torah is a prophetic document. And it doesn't tell you how to do it. Every, just like Shabbat doesn't tell you how to keep Shabbat. It's only known through the tradition of the elders coming all the way down. The reason we finally wrote it down in the Talmud was because when the Western monsters came and, and destroyed our people in, in our second of our three holocausts, the first Holocaust uh, by Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, the second Holocaust uh, through the Romans, and these both Holocausts were worse than what happened under Nazi Germany. Not only did we go through that that level of torture and that level of death, but we even lost our national identity, meaning we lost our national ancestral lands. And it's really quite miraculous that You're listening to this right now in year 2019, you know, close to 2000 years later. I'm a Jew still from the prophecies and keeping kosher, which is the, how do we know to keep kosher prophecies? It's all part of the prophecies. Everything we're doing is from the prophecies. So we're living a prophetic life, even though we may not be achieving prophecy, we're living a life of prophecy. And what's really amazing is once in a while I'll meet these uh, these amazing, uh, you know, more liberal, secular Jews who are very wealthy. And uh, sometimes I meet them, and you know what their big cause is? Their big cause is to help uh, people of the rainforest in uh, South America. You know, they'll, they'll want to help people of the rainforest, you know, who are like hanging around Rio de Janeiro covered in tattoos and body piercing, maybe selling themselves Uh, You know In the night And we want to like Get them back to their ancestral heritage So I'll actually meet Jews Who have Who have uh, You know Completely fallen Very, 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 very far From their prophetic tradition And they're spending their Their resources On helping tribes Come back to their Tribal Heritage We forget the word tribe But we are really of the tribes, and and of the tribes, we're the only tribe with the prophecy. Today, without prophecy, we have no choice. We have to work down up. We have to go through the process of working from below and getting all the wisdom and the understanding to work our way up. We have no choice but that. Today, we don't have prophecy. Prophecy. The last prophets passed away during the Second Temple period close to 2,500 years ago. Today of course prophets use loosely meaning any great teacher who started a movement they called him a prophet. you know I personally believe Bob Marley was a prophet but mm-hmm. but only because of he was a, because he was a great teacher. but the actual like what's called prophecy was hasn't been one a living prophet and Over 2,000 years, close to 2,500 years. And the last word I'd like to share is the word about oneness. Is that once you realize the oneness of it all, once you tap into pure oneness, there's a pitfall that you got to watch out for. And that pitfall is to fall into the wash where meaning once you realize that there's no distinction but there's really just oneness and there's no distinctions at that level there's many people who will actually reintegrate back downstairs in this world thinking wow no more lines man we're all we're all one you know make love not war you know it's just like it just gets washed but in fact we can actually walk this path of oneness while at the same time with great distinction because it's not all one. You go tell two people in business who have, who have a couple million dollars on the line and there, there's a major discrepancy there and lawyers are involved in court and, and precedent law and, and, uh, and you know, uh, uh, um, depositions being made and, and court cases. Go tell them it's all one. I'm not going to be that excited to discuss that. And so, this whole separation of church and state means that church is some spaced out, spaced out one oneness person, while state deals with courts of justice. Our prophecy came not only with all the oneness, but it came with all the distinction. And how do you deal with discrepancies? And how do you deal with the laws of of marriage? both getting married or, if necessary, divorce. How do you deal with with real estate law and all that stuff? It's all one thing, because it's all part of the prophecy. Because God didn't just give to this creation how to meditate on his oneness. Because if that were the case, it would be the bloodbath that it's been. And all the people into the oneness would be relegated to the ashram. But rather, God gave both the oneness and the distinctions. And lastly, on that subject, is the distinction of this nation of Israel, the tribe of Israel, which is made of 12 tribes, but today we really only have the tribe of Judah and the tribe of the Kohanim. They have found the tribe of Manasseh in India, so there's many of them around, but not, nothing compared to the amounts that are here. But the tribe of Israel, there's many, many people, including Jews, who just can't stand the fact that there's a unique tribe. How can we, after inheriting the world, of the, inheriting the post-60s, 70s world of the psychedelic movement, how dare we consider ourselves special? But think about it. First of all, everybody's special. But if you go through something really intense, it makes you more special, whether it was for the good or even something you suffered, but you're more special as a result of what you went through. And when an entire nation has a prophetic experience where all of the parallel worlds get ripped away and everyone is basked in the light of that oneness in a full prophetic experience, it is gonna fundamentally shift that people forever but not to make them better, but rather to give them a vested responsibility to heal this world, to make this world a better place. That they're called the chosen people, that the Jews are called the chosen people. I know that may sound egocentric or ethnocentric. All it's saying is that after 2,400 years, because that's when Sinai happened after Adam, after 2,400 years, of the world being led only by those Western values of survival and reproduction, which are not values, they're animal instincts, but Westernism, which is survival and reproduction, that there's a godly voice. And that godly voice was constantly eclipsed by the animal instincts of survival and reproduction. And so God decided to pull out all the stops to just break his own rules of hiddenness to one nation after 210 years of slavery, let them go learn how to serve. E- our experience in Egypt and slavery was the University of Slavery. Go learn how to serve. 210 years of transgenerational slavery, ten plagues, splitting of the sea, straight to Mount Sinai for the full THX surround sound, Omnimax 3D LSD blow experience to the entire nation. So that there will be one pilot nation on earth amongst all the tribes, because there's tribes everywhere that know this teaching. This is a parallel teaching in all the tribes. But to train the world in the light and in the oneness and in the love and in the connection. And that's what we're here for. And that is the science of unity from the perspective of the prophetic tribes of Israel. Thank you very much. Good job. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by torahanytime.com.